Welcome to the Life Over Coffee podcast, conversations for transformation. Hello, everybody. Welcome to Life Over Coffee. This is Rick Thomas. Thank you so much for being part of what I want to share with you in just a few moments. In fact, this is the big question that I want to ask you. If you are looking for a fantastic local church, I did not say perfect local church because we know the cliche, but if you were looking for a fantastic local church, what would you look for? That's what I want to talk about because that is a concern that's on every Christian's heart. Every Christian wants to be part of the body of Christ. We love our brothers and sisters. We love the body. We love the head. We want to associate. I mean, this is part of what John talked about in 1 John, that we want to gather together with each other, work through all of our hostility and animosity that we have. We are imperfect people coming together, and that's why there is no perfect church. But there are fantastic local churches, and what I want to talk about is what makes up a fantastic local church. In fact, I've titled this Three Characteristics of a Fantastic Local Church, and if you want to read all about it, please go to lifeovercoffee.com, and you can look for that title. By the way, we have a free digital download in our store. We have a lot of downloads in our store, and you're welcome to all of them. And one of those is on the local church. And so if you stumble upon this article, this podcast, this video, I want you to know that there is a much broader treatment about local churches, how to find one, how to leave one well, and everything in between. And this is part of that digital download. And again, is free to you. The best local churches have values that are distinct from the culture while transforming the church's community to reach that culture with the gospel, to export our values, Christocentric values, to the next generation. And so when looking for a fantastic local church, there are many things to consider in addition to their views on the gospel and sound theology. Now, part of that book, the local church in our store, I make I'm, I make a strong argument for uh, the necessity of the gospel being the main thing and sound theology uh, coinciding. Those are two sides of the same coin. I mean, what are a few things that come to your mind in addition to the gospel and sound theology? Now, what I would love to do here over the next few moments is to share with you just three, only three, characteristics that all local churches should prioritize. All roads in your local church flow from the gospel, the person and work of Christ. The gospel is of first importance. If the gospel is not of first importance, in your local church, then everything else, everything that follows that, it will prove to be ineffective, making your church search a non-starter. I mean, think about a church like a house. A home has a foundation. Now, the foundation to our lives is the gospel, the person and work of Christ. And then upon that foundation, there is a, a structure that sits upon the gospel. Now, in this illustration, the structure, of course, is, is sound theology that grows out of the person 
and work of Christ. And so with the foundation set and the structure assembled, and we would probably say being assembled as we continue to mature in our understanding and practice of sound theology, but now you can decorate the house with the amenities, the things that come after the gospel and sound theology. Now, perhaps you have recognized houses with weak foundations. They have a weak view of the gospel, and maybe you have seen poorly constructed homes, meaning their theology is unsound as well. I have. If the foundation is unstable and the structure is not sound, then the rest of the house will not compensate for those two blunders. The proper foundation is why the gospel is the most significant value that you want in any church. And because this is not an either-or proposition, sound theology is the second most critical value. And if you are satisfied with your church's focus and implementation of a practical gospel by sound theology, then you can move on to these three essentials that I think make up a fantastically effective church. And maybe just one other thing on the gospel and theology. As I said, we are maturing in it. We haven't fully recognized it or matured into it. And so what you're looking for is the presence of, not the perfection of, when it comes to a high view of the gospel and sound theology. And we need to keep that in mind. You see, a local church is part of or made up of imperfect people like you and me. Have you come to the fullest maturation of understanding and appreciation of the gospel? Well, of course you haven't, and neither have I. Have you learned all there is to know about sound theology? Well, of course not, and neither have I. But what you're looking for in these first two essential elements, the gospel and sound theology, is the presence of directionally they're heading in a good place. And then if they are heading into a good place directionally, then here are three essentials that make up an effective church. So, so now we have five things that you're looking for in a church. The gospel, central, high view, utmost importance, sound theology right on the heels of that, because it's our theology that will bring clarity to our affection and maturity into the gospel or Christ-likeness. And then the three that I want to cover here are worship, ministries, and then fellowship. Those are three things that make up a fantastic local church, and so let's talk about worship. A local church's worship value is not primarily about the music. Now, perhaps when I said worship, you thought about music. That's okay. I mean, that's that tends to be the de- default with a lot of people. And if that is the default, and, and if that is the only view that you have, what I hope to do is to expand your understanding of what I mean when I say worship is an essential egre- ingredient in making up a fantastic local church because it's about a lifestyle. I mean, music is part of that lifestyle, but the lifestyle is much broader than just what happens during the music set on on Sunday morning. You see, you never ask, are you worshiping? I would not go up to you, and I hope that you would not go up to me and say, hey, Rick, are you worshiping? The reason is, is that we worship all the time. 
God made us for worship, wired for worship, you could say. Worship is part of what it means to be image bearers. I mean, who could do otherwise? We are made in God's image, therefore we are worshiping all the time. The better question is, what or whom do you worship? We won't, we won't have to think too deeply about this because there are only two answers to that question. Who do you worship? What do you worship? We're either worshiping God or we are worshiping ourselves. However, this worshiping of ourselves plays out in our practical lives. And so you never ask anyone, are you worshiping? Because that is an assumption. What you want to know if you're building a relationship with a person is what do they worship or who are they worshiping? And again, there are only two options. We will either worship God with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength, and we'll be directionally growing into that, or we'll be worshiping some version of ourselves. You see, worship communicates who we are as people, our ontology, our state of being. That is the essence of who we are and what we do. And then that works out into our behaviors, what we do. And so worship needs a source. It needs a fountainhead. And the fountainhead for our worship is our hearts, and that motivates our actions. And so when you see the actions of a person, you can draw a line from their actions to the source material, their heart, their treasure. Their treasure is revealed by the things that they do. And so you can get a bead on a person, person's, what they worship, by the things that they do and the things that they say. It's the actions that reveal the worshiper's heart. For the Christian, the source of our worship is the gospel. And the object of our worship is the gospel. Jesus is the why and he is the what of our worship. That's why we want to make sure the gospel is, is the epicenter of our lives. Any other source material in our hearts will create a faulty object of what we will worship. And the Bible's word for that is idolatry. Making Christian worship distinctly Christ-centered. And so a gospel-centered local church provides a context for God's people to break away from earthly tethering so that they can freely worship according to their identity as Christocentric image bearers. Local church gatherings, like say on Sunday morning, they give Christians a place that foreshadows what Christians of all ages will do in eternity, and that is worship Christ. That is why a fantastic local church, not a perfect one, but a fantastic one, will have the gospel center stage. And then the theology will feed our understanding and practice of the gospel. And then worship, not just the, the music, the, the songs on Sunday morning, but the lifestyle that we live because our hearts are, are saturated by the gospel. And though there is much to do to put on a church meeting, and there are a lot of activities at that church meeting on Sunday morning, one of the primary point of all of this activity is to create an ease of focus for the worshiper to adore and to 
enjoy God? And so let me give you a few questions that will help you examine the worship experience at your church. How do your friends motivate you to worship the Savior? Thinking about music, how does the music lead you to engage the Savior? How would you rate your anticipation during the week to worship Christ at your local church meetings? Is your local church meeting a God-centered worship event that refreshes your soul? And so one of the items, one of the elements that make up a fantastic local church is worship, an expansive understanding of worship. Now let me give you a musical note here a caveat, because worship is our lives, our church's music style is a preferential tertiary matter. And I know some people make the music style the first importance, and it's not. It's a tertiary matter. The lyrics, on the other hand, are of first importance, because lyrics, like preaching, they must find their grounding in the gospel because they pro proclaim what is essential to God. And so when it comes to worship music, if the worship music doesn't usher you toward Christ, then you want to address the worship music in addition to the worship lifestyle and worldview that I have been communicating under this point. And so I titled this Three Characteristics of a Fantastic Local Church. One of those is an expansive view of worship. Another is ministries. Obviously, we're going to go into a local church and we are going to look for ministries. An essential part of any local church is the ministries of that church. I mean, Paul exhorts pastors to equip the saints to do the work of the ministry. This is in Ephesians 4, verses 11 and 14. He further urges leaders to help people to understand their care to become mature in, in the faith. And so solid, thought-out ministries provide a context for Christians to grow in Christ. Ministries are one of the better things a local church can provide for its people. Gospel-centered ministries point the people to Jesus. The children's ministry are pointing those, those little sinners, those, those little kids to Christ. The music ministry is pointing the music team and the entire church on Sunday morning to Christ. The student ministries, they're pointing uh, these young adults to Christ. Everything about the ministries are helping people to transform into the gospel, Christ-likeness. They are a means of grace that lead people to a greater understanding and practice of Christ. The ministries, the best ministries, are transformative. Now, I, I do want to mention a couple downsides to ministries because ministries are so prevalent. Most of us, I would imagine, are participating in some form of ministry. And in my counseling life, I have seen downsides to ministries, and that's why I want to mention it here in this evaluation of ministries for a local church that you may be looking for. But this also applies to those of you who are part of a local church and you're very much involved in ministries. 
And one of those downsides, I'll just give you three, one of those is ministry substitutes. And what I mean is that ministry should never replace the activities in the home. Ministries are not surrogate parents. Christian parents do not give up their responsibility as parents to any ministry, any program, or local church. Now, that can go either way. Uh, The ministries can so encroach on your life to annex you and to bring you into their orbit, and they become the beginning and end of all of your life. No, that should not happen. I'll talk about ministry slavery in just a moment as another downside to ministries. But then I also see where parents will give their children up, for example, to ministries to where the children's ministry or the student ministry becomes a surrogate parent. Parents parent children. Parents determine the means of grace ministries that are necessary to facilitate Christian maturity. And so parents determine that this ministry will help our children to grow into Christ-likeness. Church ministries are supplemental resources that accomplish parental goals. Ministries are not parental replacements, surrogate parents. Ministries do not interfere with or should not interfere with or circumvent parental responsibilities. The local church does not do our jobs as parents, and they should not interfere with our responsibilities. Gospel-centered ministries make our jobs as parents better, not necessarily easier. There's no easy road to parenting. But they do make our jobs better, but only in a supplemental fashion. And so one of the downsides to ministries is ministry substitutes, and I trust that you don't fall for that trap. Now, the other, or the second of three, is ministry slavery. As much as I love our church building, I do not plan to live there, and you should not either. It's just a building. That's all. Sometimes we say we're going to church. I mean, the truth is you're not. You, you are the church. You're going to a, a building. You're going to a shop on Main Street, if that's where you gather, Uh, We used to do church in a dance studio. We would go to the dance studio as a church, but we did not go to church. We also met in a hotel, and we met in a Seventh-day Adventist building, which was cool because they were not there on Sunday, and it was a mercy of God that they gave us that building so that we could worship Him in that building as the body of Christ. We want to guard our time and guard our calendar against being ministry-centered. From, for some Christians, there is a temptation to be ministry-centered. Their lives revolve around what they do for their local churches. Ministry slavery is dangerous. Christians revolve around the gospel while the local church ministries ensure that, that gospel-centered worldview. And so we want to guard against, as we evaluate the ministries of the church, ministry substitutes, ministry slavery, and then number three, ministry preferences. Ministries are niceties of religion, and that is a plus. 
But if I lived where it was impossible to have what we have in our local church, I am confident God's grace would be sufficient and we would be okay. My point here is that you want to guard against elevating the importance of a church ministry as though the lives of your family depend on it. Well, our church doesn't have this and we don't, we don't have that. I, I understand, and, and, and that can be a source of frustration, but that is where we want to guard our hearts. A biblical family with few church ministries is far better than an unbiblical family that expects the church to meet all of their preferences. And so let me ask a few questions around ministries. How do the ministries of your church supplement your Christian life? Number two, are you ministry-centered or family-centered or friend-centered? If these were your three choices, which one would be number one? Number three, have you ever over-elevated the importance of ministries? And then finally, number four, how are you making the ministries of your local church more effective? People who grumble about the ministries of the church, one of the things that I want to ask them, what are you doing to make a difference? Sometimes we can elevate ministries so much in our minds, as I have been saying, that it is though if we don't have this or that, it's almost like God's grace. We can almost have a legalistic view of ministries because my child needs to have this, and the reason my child is the way that, because our church did not provide that. We want to guard against that, and not only guard against those legalistic temptations, but we want to jump in and use our unique gifting in the ways that, that God is working in our lives, and we want to pour that into our local churches, either working in the ministries that are present or creating a ministry that is more in line with your gifting, if that is a possibility. And so the title of this is Three Characteristics of a Fantastic Local Church. In addition to the gospel and sound theology, I've talked about an expansive worship experience. I've talked about ministry and evaluating some of the downsides of ministry. And the fifth thing that we're looking at is fellowship. Maybe I can start this part with a quote that possibly you have heard. I visited that church and no one shook my hand. Have you ever heard that complaint? Have you ever grumbled that way yourself? The idea of the unfriendly church is one of the most misunderstood aspects of any local congregation. Not being friendly or not connecting with others, it is expected. It is expected because it's part of the Adamic curse. People come into the world wrapped in guilt and shame, you and me, a temptation that motivates us to resist transparency, isolating ourselves from God and community. I mean, even friendly people can struggle with transparency. People are not predisposed to love you the way that you want to experience love and kindness from them. And if you remember this one thought, you won't be disappointed when you look for transparent people to build community in your local church. A lack of interactive connectivity is not as much a church problem 
as it is an Adam problem. And we really need to understand this so that we stop grumbling because nobody shook my hand when I went into that building. Nobody shakes my hand when I go into Walmart. But something phenomenal happens in Walmart or other places that I go into is that I engage people. I create a conversation with them. And when I do, something begins to happen. No matter what local church you attend, you will find it challenging to locate a context where people are willing to be humble, willing to be open, transparent, honest, vulnerable, and self-disclosing about their lives with you. Fellowship, or a synonym, community, another synonym, koinonia, that is a spirit-led, humble, transparent, reciprocal community that focuses on what God is doing in the participants' lives. My appeal to you is to not sit around waiting for someone to engage you the way you want engagement. A gospel-centered church does not sit around waiting on a handshake or complain about not connecting with others. Christ did not sit in heaven demanding us to come to Him. He took on the form of a servant. And he came to us to help us to become what we are supposed to be. Rather than sitting and soaking and, and maybe expecting others to pursue us, it would be better for us to become the pursuers. And so maybe a couple of bullet points will help to think about this proactivity as far as gospel-centered handshaking and communication. True community is not a passive activity. True community is not for the timid. And if timidity or fear of man or even a desire to isolate or I just don't like people or I don't like those people, if that's part of your makeup, then, well, we, we do have the gift of repentance. And I would, I would recommend asking for it. True community is not for the timid. And then number three, true community requires, it requires a spiritual aggression. Now, aren't you glad that Jesus was spiritually aggressive in your life? Then go and do likewise. Sadly, some people come from backgrounds where honesty, openness, and vulnerability, they are not valued. Honesty led to a harsh judgment. They have not lived in gospel-motivated contexts and are tempted to be distant and cynical. These dangerous side effects of religion, they're dangerous side effects of, of authoritative constructs, it's why gospel-centered churches are absolutely essential. Your interpretive grid for fellowship, for community, it will have flaws if you don't have the gospel right. And so the more that we directionally move into the gospel, the more it's going to give us a proper filter to view and understand community, and it will motivate us to pursue community. Our temptation will be self-protection, not self-disclosure. If your church is not self-disclosing, be patient. It takes years for people to become comfortable enough to let you into their real world of, of their thought lives. Don't make your passion for transparency a mandate for the tentative Christian. For the tentative Christian, the person who struggles with fear, wrapped up in fear, 
I'm not judging you here, but there is an excellent little book that I recommend to you. It's called The Gospel Primer. And most of you, I would imagine, have read that book or definitely have heard of it by Milton Vincent. He gives the perfect antidote to overcome the fear of what others may think about you or say about you. This is my favorite quote from the Gospel Primer. If I wanted others to think highly of me, I would conceal the fact that a shameful slaughter of the perfect Son of God was required so that I might be saved. But when I stand at the foot of the cross and am seen by others under the light of that cross, I am left uncomfortably exposed before their eyes. Indeed, the most humiliating gossip the most humiliating gossip that could ever be whispered about me is blared from Golgotha's hill, and my self-righteous reputation is left in ruins in the wake of its revelations. With the worst facts about me thus exposed to the view of others, I find myself feeling that I truly have nothing left to hide." That is by Milton Vincent from his little book, The Gospel Primer. I do recommend it. It'll especially help you for those that are inhibited, fearful about building community. And so let me give you a few pointers that maybe will give you a, a, a directional way to go. Number one, you begin by being honest with God. You reveal to Him what He already knows about you. Number two, you let your spouse or a close friend into your secret world of shame and hurt and pain, victory, praise, and grace. And you do this incrementally and appropriately. I'm not, I, I'm not talking about gushing everything you've ever done wrong or every bad thought you ever had. No, be wise in your communication, but you want to start incrementally and appropriately allowing somebody into your space. Number three, you search for like-minded believers within your congregation who want to go to this level with you. And then ask God to lead you to this kind of person. Then start sharing yourself while drawing out what is in their hearts. You want this reciprocality. Your goal is to build a group of transparent friends. If you're married and your community begins with your spouse, that is obvious, of course. Then your children, it works out in concentric circles. Don't assume that others will have your vision for or your understanding of true biblical fellowship. Some Christians have not experienced gospel-based relationships, and that's why we want to guard our hearts against self-righteously judging others unwilling to pursue this with you. There are reasons they are reluctant. I talked about bad forms of religion or authoritative constructs. You see, if they will let you help, see if they will let you help them, and then by all means, Lead by your example. If you want this kind of community, then you must make it happen. It will not happen on its own. Do not be the guy in the back of the room on the back row with his arms crossed looking down over his spectacles expecting someone to shake his hand. I mean, imagine a church that understands and practically practices the gospel. Their theology is precise and they communicate it. The people exemplify a lifestyle of worship every day, 24-7. The church provides ministries that supplement who the people are and engage each other in authentic, self-disclosing community. That is a beautiful body. 
Now, I suspect your church is not quite that yet, and that's okay. Again, it's more about direction than perfection. You're looking for the presence of, not the perfection of. Are they heading in the right direction? Are you helping them get there? You're looking for a church moving in the right direction, which you measure by their ongoing and practical implementation of the gospel in their lives. I've titled this Three Characteristics of a Fantastic Local Church. I'll Let me wrap up here with a few CTAs. Number one, describe worship, which is more than music. How does your life represent a robust worshiping Christian? What areas do you need to address and change to become a gospel-centered worshiper? Number two, how would you speak with a person with a narrow view of worship? He's looking for a church, but defines worship as the singers and their songs. Though this criterion is vital, why would you want him to broaden his assessment of the church regarding worship? Number three, What ministries would you like to have in your church? Number four, what ministry do you believe is the best fit for you? Number five, have you ever fallen for any of the three ministry downsides? If you have, what was the process to overcome them? What is your plan to change if you perceive them as traps in your life today? Number six, how would you disciple the grumbler who talks about the unfriendly church? And maybe just as importantly, why do folks tend to isolate and build cliques versus having a gospel-centered, gospel-going worldview? And then finally, number seven, what is the solution for the grumbler? How will you motivate this person in a spirit of gentleness to actively seek friends rather than passively complain about not having friends. I've titled this Three Characteristics of a Fantastic Local Church. It is worshiping, ministries, and fellowship to go alongside the gospel and sound theology. You can find this article in a read-watch-listen format at lifeovercoffee.com. If you want the entire book on the local church, head over to our store and you'll find it there. Download it. Share it with 1,000 of your closest friends. And while you're there, download all the other free books for you. Thank you so much and God bless. Thanks for joining us. Learn more and get access to other resources at lifeovercoffee.com.